0: Good morning once again, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Bible study, When we're going to look into the Scripture and to see the words of Jesus. I mean, he's the best preacher ever, right, and and to look into his words and to learn from him, it is a privilege. Today we will look at chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. If you have your Bibles, and you should, you could go there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. I named this sermon Righteous Fast, and I'll try to explain why I did so. But if you look at the, at the text from the first glance, you see what the topic of, of Jesus is preaching, and the topic is obvious, is fasting. Now, why would we preach on fasting? Well, we probably wouldn't, but because Jesus puts it in the Scripture, So now it's the next verses, so we kind of have to. We would like to talk about anything else, probably. You know, if we look at our lives, it's probably not where you find yourself excelling in the spiritual discipline, uh, fasting. And maybe you are, but this is not true of me. Uh, I fast very occasionally, rarely. I cannot say that I'm a model of fasting. Uh, In fact, I didn't fast today. So, but... To look at the scripture and to see what is he teaching us, it's it's good. It's good because Jesus is talking about our practical righteousness here. If you look at the verses, we'll start our reading from chapter 5, verses 48. Chapter 5, verse 48, and then we'll read through verse 18. Beware of... Uh, Chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see this passage? It is very, very important because Jesus is intensifying our need for Christ for himself. I mean, among all the teaching of Jesus, this probably did the highest. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so what is our tendency to do to perfect ourselves in our flesh We will try to do a lot of good stuff and do some righteousness that we will prove that we are fine, God, look at us. And so therefore, right away after he says, look, you failed in chapter five. You failed completely. You cannot do anything perfectly or even close to perfect what I said to you in chapter five. I quoted the law. Now, if you want to try... In your flesh you will fail again, and this is what he is telling us later. And he gives us three exercises that we're usually doing, or people of Israel did. Giving, prayer, and fasting. So let's read chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray... You are not to be like the hypocrites who for the love of the stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use a meaningless repetition as Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way: Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, so we also have. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into the temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will be not noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's bow down and pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, and we pray that you teach us from your word. Teach us to have a humble heart that expressed in all these disciplines that we are doing. Help us to put you on display in other ourselves, and help us to look for the benefit of others as we do all of these things, which you're prescribing us in scripture. Help us to have a great need in you, and just run after you and be hungry for God, rather than hungry for praise. We thank you, Jesus, bless us, bless me as the mouthpiece, in Christ's name we pray, amen. When we talk about the fasting in the Bible, you will find about 40 different passages which either describe people fasting or instruct it regarding it. The first time Bible mentioned fasting was when Moses went and fasted for 40 days. And then we go through the scripture and we see probably 2 Corinthians. The last time we see fast is mentioned in chapter 6, verse 5. But fasting, however, is not just a Christian exercise or biblical exercise. You will see fasting just woven into the religion. Any religion you take, for instance, if you take Muslims, they have they have the whole month of Ramadan fasting. Um, Hindus, Brahmins, they fast often in any Eastern religion. And, and in fact, from Africa to the New, New Guinea, every nation has some sort of fasting. Why is that? Well, Jesus warns warned us in chapter 6. He says, this is how you would want to express your righteousness. Righteousness. You wanna express your righteousness through fasting. Now you could, in, 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 you could express your righteousness through many things. For instance, like we've been studying with Pastor Tim, through giving. You could give a lot and you show your devotion to God. You take away from your pocket, from your family, you take the riches and you give and you show how righteous your acts are and how devoted to God that you love God more than money. Or you could pray, you could dedicate your time. You could dedicate an hour of your time or, or, or a couple of hours or take the whole day for praying and you show your dedication and that's how you show that you're righteous. The Probably the hardest is for us is to dedicate our food to God because it's really a sacrifice. You know, I need food three days, uh, three times a day. Right, we, we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you skip one, you're kind of missing it. So if you would want to you show how righteous you are in the flesh... This probably would be the most efficient way to show him, look, I'm sacrificing so much that my life depends on it, that I'm giving away my lunch or a couple of days of my life and I show to people and to you, God, that I'm super, super dedicated to you, that you are more important for me than the food. Jesus, however, warns us not to do that. Jesus creates in the Sermon on the Mount the need. The need for him. He creates the need that he intensified the need for Christ by putting all these things and the display and saying, well, these are not producing righteousness. You in your flesh cannot produce righteousness. You need me. You desperately need me. I remember in year 2008, we went to Israel uh, to a trip, and we were going through the ma- through the. Uh, wilderness of sin, and the driver and the instructor, they kick everyone out for half an hour, and they say, well, go into the wilderness and experience what Israel experienced, and by doing this, they intensified the need for water and for food, because we spend 30 minutes on the scorching heat where there's nothing around to hide yourself with, and so we are we, we were asked to pray. And so we did. <laughs> there were We saw snakes. We saw some, some, some bugs. We were under. And we were so glad to go back to this cooling air of the bus that we were in. They intensified the need for this rest. And so Jesus does this. You will find rest only in me. And when you do. The rivers will flow. The righteousness will actually flow from you. Do not try to earn your righteousness with me. Do not score with me, but let me fix it. Flow. So when we come to this chapter and to these particular verses, Jesus is given these three exercises. Right In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Beware practicing of your righteousness before men. And then he said, so when you give to the poor, this is one way how you're either flowing out of the abundance of heart and say, well, look, I am rich in Christ. I don't have to prove to anyone. I see the need, and I'm giving in secret. That would be one, the flow of a new life from the rest in Christ. The second one exercise would be Prayer. You could say that this is how I earn points with God and I will pray and I will bend his arm so that he will give it to me. Or you just throw yourself on the mercy of God and you pray because this is a communion with God. And the third exercise is fasting, is when you fast. And either you are fasting because you express in the great need in Christ in humility, that you're super dependent on him and you cannot walk with him? Or you just want to prove the point that you are super spiritual? And that's what Jesus is warning us not to do. So the main point of the passage that the righteous fasting comes from the humble heart expressing the dependence on God. That's it. This would be rewarded, by the way. But the proper fasting, the righteous fasting that Jesus is promoting here is that he said it comes out from the humble heart. That all it wants to do by this exercise is to show the dependence and throw itself on the mercies of God, expressing dependence on God. It doesn't ask anything in return. It just shows the complete and utter dependence on God. And so it is kind of a rebuke toward us if we don't fast in this way, that means that we don't need as much as Christ. We sing this, that I need him every hour I do, and then we go on and live in our lives like we don't. So Jesus is saying, when you fast, so let's look at this from the three mountaintops, three points that I want to make that to explain this passage. Number one, Jesus is alluding to the practice of fasting. Practice of fasting, what is it? What is it? If we define fasting in a biblical term, it goes something like that. It's in your bulletin, and you could, uh, you could follow me because these are where the f- points flow from. Fasting is a voluntary absence from food as a religious exercise of expressing humility and dependence on God. Fasting is a voluntary abstinence from food as a religion exercise of expressing humility and dependence on God. So fasting is an act of settled denial, an act of worship. It's an act of worshiping heart. Well, let me tell you what it does not say. It does not say that Fasting somehow makes God like us. It does not make God view us in a more righteous way. It doesn't. It does not make us more righteous when you give, when you pray, or when you fast. And it doesn't do so. It does not twist God's arm. He does not become more attentive to your prayers when you fast all of a sudden. Because you did something. Huh? Fasting is not a hunger strike that you wanted to demand something from God, but a simple manifestation of a humble dependence on God. Fasting aims to change your heart rather than God's heart. It is about your expression of your dependence. Fasting does not make us better. But... I said in the beginning that fasting is an abstinence from physical food. Jesus, in verse 16, he said, whenever you fast. Our word fast comes, you know, we understand that it's an abstinence from from eating or doing something. Our word breakfast, you know, illustrates that it comes from two words, breaking fast. Everyone is fasting in this way, from dinner to breakfast, Right? In this sense, your breakfast could be during the lunch because if you decide to break your fast from the last dinner, it would be at the lunchtime. It would be your breakfast. But in the Greek word, it means nestu eo, meaning just abstinent from food and drinks, excluding the water. Water was not a practice, uh, normal practice, when you fast that you abstain from water because you're living in Israel and there's, it's very, very hot. But everything like juices, dairies, milk, and stuff, it, it's something that put calories into your body. Uh, you would try to abstain from it so that the life-flowing food would not, you know, you're not dependent on it. You show it that you're dependent on something else. In the Old Testament, this word for fasting, uh, it's, it's interesting word, uh, it's a a swarm, meaning that you put the mask over your mouth. We've been practicing a lot lately, right? Putting a mask every time you go to a grocery store. But it's something to cover your mouth with so that you don't put anything in it. But I also said that it's not only abstinence from food, but it has a spiritual purposes, spiritual purposes. When Jesus is talking whenever you fast, he does not say that, like, we, we see people fasting these days. They've given up on chocolate and say, so well, I'm, I'm fasting on chocolate. Right now, I'm not. Or alcohol fasting. Or, or just intermittent fasting. Uh, these are all good. And if you want to lose a couple of pounds, you know, that's fine. More power to you. You could fast and do whatever you want. But the idea of fasting that Jesus is mentioning, it has a religious purpose. It, it's not just a physical, you know, you know it's, it's good for you. Fasting has a religious purpose to present yourself as a dependent person on God. Many faithful believers in the Bible fasted. I'm just going to give you a list of them. And when, when we hear this today, you know, fast is something is abnormal to us in this religious sense. But Moses fasted. Samson fast, Samuel, Hannah, David Elijah, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul. Now you say John the Baptist, with his diet, right, anybody would fast, right? Because why would you eat grasshopper all day long? But even he, he was, he was fasting for a spiritual exercise. There was a spiritual purpose for it. So there's a a difference when and how we fast. And if you fast and you decide to fast for depending on God and show and express it, and it flows out of your heart, I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about here. So we're explaining what this fast is, what the proper understanding of fasting. The second point under this is that fasting is not only has the religious exercise and a purpose, it's, it's a voluntary It's a voluntary action. Uh, It's voluntary discipline of humbling yourself before God. Fasting is a voluntary abstinence. Jesus introduces these three practices, giving, praying, and fasting, and every one of them meaning your private exercise. It's not a corporate exercise. When you do, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. But in distinction with prayer and giving, We don't see anywhere in Scripture that fasting was mandatory, except of one occasion on a corporate level. At the Day of Atonement, at the Day of Atonement, the whole Israel has to fast. Leviticus 19, 19, uh, 16 tells us that every woman and every man on one day, one day a year, should fast and absent from Food, but at the rest of the time, it was just a completely voluntary exercise. So if you want to fast, great. Just do it properly. So now fasting in the Bible is not a duty; it is your privilege. It is your decision. It is your desire. It is not compulsory, Off act of worship before God. But then you kind of would ask a question: Why would you fast? If it's not mandatory, why would you fast? Why would you do anything if nobody makes you to do? Well, the simple answer is, is because you want to. Because you want to. And, and I tell you that Jesus is expecting his believers to fast. Look at this. Look at this. He's expecting believers to give. If you go to chapter 6, it, verse 2, it says, so when you give. It doesn't say, well, if you give. It says when you give. It's expected from a genuine heart to give, right? Like people, I talked to one person and said, well, do you give to the church? And he said, well, why would I? And I said, well, why, why not? Why would a Christian will not want to give? And the same thing with prayer, verse 6, but you, when you pray, why should we pray? Well, why wouldn't you? This is like an expression of your dependence on God and communion with God. In the same way, in verse 16, he said, whenever you fast, not if you fast, but whenever, Jesus anticipates his followers to give, to pray, and sometimes abstain from eating for spiritual reasons. In fact, later on in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, the disciples of John came to Jesus, kind of rebuke him. uh, uh, His disciples said, well, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? What's up with that? Like, this is a normal practice for us. We do fast. But Jesus is saying, look, right now they don't, because it's a feast. They have the bridegroom. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. That will happen. Now, we know the disciples of Jesus did not fast more than once a year at the Day of Atonement. Jesus himself probably fasted once a year and then 40 days, and then we don't see him fasting. But he said that disciples will. During the wedding, nobody fasts, right? It's kind of weird to come to the feast and just start saying, well, I actually don't eat. You celebrate. And so therefore, there's more celebration in our lives than fasting, but nevertheless, Jesus expects us sometimes to take this action. Jesus does not say to his followers that they must fast, but he neither tells them that you're forbidden to do so. But he's just simply expecting them to do. So why would believer be expecting fasting? Well, because such fasting springs out from a dependent heart. That is all. There's no command to it. There's no obligation. There is a desire that goes out of the heart. Fasting closely connected with your humility, with your sense of humility. Expectation of fasting is an expectation of humble spirit before God. And it's a natural reaction then. It is not forced upon you. It's a natural reaction of this dependent heart. Like, Psalm 35, 13, David amazes me. He's he's talking about his dealing with his enemies. He's talking about dealing not with friends, not with relatives, but with his enemies. And he said, but as for me, when they were sick, my enemies, my clothing was sackcloth, I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. In reference to his enemies, he said, I humbled myself. It comes with humility, and then I fast. Fasting is a given, and given as a given in prayer, is expression of devotion to God, but devoting in a total dependence on God. It's seeing him, his face, his righteousness, he's seeking his kingdom in this way, not proving, demanding, or earning things from God because of our piety. And it becomes natural because this is your passion at that moment. Natural things that you love, you don't have to make yourself do things, right? You you just do them. So in the same way, if you want to voluntarily present yourself before God and you understand the overwhelming reality that you at every moment dependent on God and you show yourself to God in such a way it's appropriate, it's manifesting that the spirit works in your heart. It has spiritual effect on your body but not the way around. You cannot humble yourself by not eating. You're not eating because you're humble. That's what the trajectory. Many will try to produce spiritual benefit but restraining physical bodies from food, clothes, or shelter, or so on. But physical will never improve spiritual condition of your heart. It's impossible. Your heart will not be better if you restrain yourself from eating. You will not eat because your heart is humble. Spirit must and will affect your physical body, though. It will make you to go whatever you don't want to go, do things that you don't necessarily do. But in the biblical examples, as Jesus is telling them, they're flashing in their minds different occasions for fasting. And I'll give you just a few This expression of a humble heart expressed in not eating and abstaining from food, we see in Daniel. In Daniel chapter nine, verses three and four, when he was expressing his sorrow for sin, he didn't want to eat. He said, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God And confess and said, alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness to those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. I guess when we are pressed with our sin and we realize how sinful we are, we might fast. Sometimes people fasted and and expressed this humble spirit when people experience sad things in life. Nehemiah 1.4 says, They said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. This was the news that came to him when I heard these words. I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. It's not bending God's arm to do something. It's just expressing the sorrow, and you don't want to eat at that moment. In case of great need, when a danger or threat, David, remember, when his child was under threat of death, he lost his appetite. He lost his sleep. He spent time in praying and fasting, It says in 2 Samuel 12, 16, David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. So what Jesus is saying, when you fast, it's a voluntary action of your expressing your dependence on God, and so it has to be flowing of your humble spirit. Don't prove anything. Don't tell anyone. Just do it if spirit leads you. I like how Philip Brooks he says this. Then is the philosophy of fasting. It expresses repentance. And it uncovers the life to God. And just make yourself open to God. And you're really saying, "Come down, my pride. Stand back, my passions. For I am wicked, and I wait for God to bless me." Our country has this day of National Fast Day. Abraham Lincoln wrote an address to the nation during the Civil War that was at least as important as the Gettysburg Address. It was his proclamation for a National Fast Day by which he did designate a set-apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863. Thursday, today is April 25th. April 30th, as a day of national humiliation, fasting and prayer. And he wrote this, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to all their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance would lead to mercy and pardon. Then he wrote this, Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Proper fasting, righteous fasting flows out of the heart, doesn't try to prove or earn or gain anything with God. It just expresses and makes yourself open of where you are. Actually, expressing your dependence on God. Now, the purpose of, fa- of fast, and Jesus has mentioned this about the purpose. He said that there are two motivations that usually prone people to do so. He said, Whenever you fast, do not put on gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that, so that, that that's the purpose, so that. Why would you? Why would you do such an uh, exercise that kind of costs you something? Well, you have two motivations. One is to be noticed by men and receive something from men, and another is noticed by God and actually be blessed by God. As with all these spiritual disciplines, it's not mere performance that God desires, but the proper motive of the heart. This is what he's asking us. And when you do anything, you should ask, why am I doing this? Why am I doing it? Why am I trying to prove? What's my purpose? And Jesus is exposing an unrighteous motivation, right? He's talking about how not to fast more than how to. He's telling what not to do in fasting. And he says, bad fasting, that is pride puffed up fasting, has unrighteous motivation. It seeks attention for self, it covers up with hypocrisy, and it's hungry for praise, right? It seeks attention for yourself. It covers up with hypocrisy that you don't, and it's hungry for praise. Let's look one by one. Seek attention for yourself. Jesus said, do not put on gloomy face as the hypocrites do, and do not neglect their appearance. (laughs) What Pharisees would do, they would neglect their appearance so that they would attract the attention, The purpose of fasting should not be self-promotion in any sense. That's why Jesus is saying in chapter 6, verse 1 again, beware of practicing your righteousness before man. The main topic is righteousness of God here. That's how you demonstrate your righteousness. Do not be the showcase of your righteousness before people. You can give a lot of money. You could pray a lot of prayer. You could do a lot of ministries. You could fast a long time. But why are you doing this? After all of these, you could say, well, this is what I actually did. And you bring the list up on the screen, what you did, and write a book about yourself and do the self-biography. That's probably going to cancel. It's amazing how the good things like prayer, giving, and fasting, very good things could be corrupted by this worm of desire to gain popularity or grief. Jesus is saying that when you do fast, you are righteous. When it flows out of the heart, this is the righteousness. But you do it for the right audience. Beware of practicing your righteousness before man. And then he said, your motivation should not be that you'll be noticed by men. Like this tax collector who said, you know, I'm a sinner. And the Pharisees would say, what I Actually, I fast twice a week. Jews of Jesus' day turned fasting into a contest of spirituality. Many Pharisees fasted twice a week, usually on Mondays and Thursdays. They claim that those were the days when Moses went on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. So he went twice. One time he went on Monday, and then another time he went on Thursday. So to commemorate that, that he was forty days and forty nights without the food, so we should follow that example. But it's interesting that those days actually happened when the market happened. What the market? What were the major Jewish markets days when cities and towns were crowded with farmers, merchants, and general public? And so, of course, if you want to demonstrate yourself that you are so devoted to God that you wanted to do it with a bunch of people in view. This is if you want to fast during those days, you would have a largest audience to praise you. But the, the hardest part is, is that it's, 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 it's not just they want to get the, the attention to themselves, but it's also covered up. Jesus says, do not do, do not do this as a hypocrite do. You know, hypocrites, they put on the mask, as Tim was explaining to us. It's, it's literally here, says, they put gloomy face, meaning the disfigured faces. You know, when we want to express that you're so sorry, you know, about something and you're going to put the dream on your face and you walk with this dream or that you are super joyful. You put the mask, which is not reality. You might not feel this way, but this is what you do. And this is a hypocrisy. This is the clown, clownery, if there's such a word, when you put on the mask and you pretend that you are so devoted to God and you're so sorry for your sin. But inside you're not that. It's like clowns when they put the mask because they're, they're happy. Uh, most of the clowns, they, they're not happy. And if you look at the comedians, they, they, they're not happy at all. as a person. But when they appear on the stage, they're super thrilled. And you think, this is the most happiest person. And then you look at his life, he is depressed and broken inside. So the, the hypocrites put on the disfigured faces upon themselves so that they would appear spiritual. But there's no righteousness at all in this. But the, the core of the hypocrisy is not that they put on the mask, but it's, it's that where they're seeking the attention of people, they actually want to say, well, I'm not seeking the attention. This is what not, not what I'm doing. I'm doing it for the real reasons to be pleasing to God. And the problem of hypocrisy is the problem of dishonesty. A dishonest hypocrite is a dishonest person when he's craving for people's praise, pretending that he's not. Now, it would be a totally different thing when a hypocrite would say, you know, I'm fasting precisely to get your approval. This is what I'm doing. I'm looking for praise, so please give me praise. At least he will be honest, but he would not be a hypocrite. Hypocrite, he is desired the praise, but he covers up that he doesn't. Piper adds this: he said, Few things feel more gratifying to the heart of fallen men than being made much of for our accomplishments, especially our moral and religion accomplishments. When we accomplish something, we want to receive the praise from people that we were super spiritual. All of this we are prone to do because of our appetites for the praise of men. We want to be made much of. We want people to like us, admire us, and speak well of us. It is a deadly drive. Jesus warns us, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And these people, this hypocrite's hungry for human praise. Self-promotion was driving force Receive the praise as Pharisees and hypoc- hypocrites did. There are two desires here: one is hunger for God, and another hunger for people's praise. And sometimes physical hunger gives way. It depends what you want or more. Sometimes you want a praise of people that you want to abstain from food and sacrifice so that you will get that, what you really want. Or sometimes you're hungry for God and for his kingdom and you abstain from food. So where are we? But if we be honest for a moment, whether we walk with Jesus one month or in my case, walk like more than 33 years with Jesus, it is not a challenge. It's not this challenge in your Christian life. When you're preaching, when you're doing ministry in the church, when you're fixing things up here, that you want to be recognized somehow before people, that you want to express your devotion to God, see how much I did. And this is what Pharisees did. They, by, by covering up with this old ashes and put the dirt on themselves and put their sackcloth, their dirty, and, and just a bunch of holes on their tunics, and they're walking in and they were just screaming, Screaming it's like, "Look at my spirituality. You, I'm worthy to be praised, please give me honor." And we think it's like, wow, we're far away from that, but reality is that flesh is always seeking the recognition, attention, either before God, that I did this or before people. Instead, we should walk in the spirit. Spirit. Is dependent on God demands nothing, it, it tells like I have, I earn nothing, I need grace, I need grace. And then Jesus is saying, verse 17, that there is a righteous purpose, there is a purpose. So, fasting has the purpose, righteous purpose is, is fasting in secret when you are not presenting yourself, making yourself a display of anything, but you're just carrying out your normal life. When you decide to fast, don't tell anyone about this. It's hard in our case, you know, those who have spouses, you know, she would ask you like, why are you not eating? And so, oh, I just, you could tell your wife, like, well, yeah, well, I decided to fast and, and that's appropriate. You tell to one another, but you don't display to other people. So actually, I cannot work, I cannot do this because, because I'm fasting. What should you do during your fast, Jesus said. Well, you should anoint, you should wash your face. Don't, don't, don't walk and appear like an, an old on-cum hair, un, unbraided beard, you know, just like don't brush your teeth type of deal and just walk in your pajama all day. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really devoting myself to God right now. No, he said, during the fast, wash up so that nobody would even guess what you're doing. Do it in secret. You know, usually people, when we think about fasting, we think like, I want to be like Moses. I'm just going to go to the mountains, seclude myself from everyone. I'm just going to devote to God. I'm not going to eat. And so I will spend like day or two in this, my devotion to God. And there's a place for that. But Jesus is not saying this here. He said, when you, when you fast, just carry out, carry out your normal lifestyle. Go to work, help people. Instead of just doing seclusion, Actually, pay attention to others. So the secret things, it's not about you. It's about what you do. Don't put yourself in the secret in the closet. (laughs) Be among the people. And as Tim was reading Isaiah 58, I hope you catch the drift what this true fasting means and how this is expressed. As you anoint and put perfume on your hair, on your head, and as you wash yourself, as you walk, and as you put the nice dress. In Isaiah 58, if you go there, please go there with me because we're going to read a few passages. Isaiah 58, and I insist that you go there. Isaiah 58, I know you were there. But Isaiah 58, it explains what kind of fasting is appropriate and righteous before God. And it's not just do, doing nothing. Hey, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking, and I'm doing nothing. That's not it. It's not taking attention to yourself, but you put putting all your attention to other people. That's the fast. Look, in chapter 58, verse 6, God says, is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the bonds of the yoke, and to let the oppressed to go free and break every yoke? It, it, in, it involves energy, not on yourself, as a Pharisee would do to put a lot of energy to present themselves, but on others. Make people free. Forgive them their debts. <laughs> when you decide to fast, you know, in your own spiritual reality, you're dependent on God. You've been freed. So what you do, you just do the same. You free people up. Later on, he said, it is not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor in the house. So when you abstain yourself from food, just give that food to someone else. Just bless someone. When you see someone naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, meaning of your relatives or your friends. Fasting must be done in secret, but you should not hide yourself. You should be exposing yourself to others. Don't go to the monastery to fast. (laughs) Verse 8, he says, then your light will break out like the dawn. You want to be righteous? Do not parade about your righteousness. Let your righteousness flow from your heart, from the dependence of of God. He said, well, you and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That's what Jesus is talking, righteousness. It's not presenting yourself righteous, but just let it flow. And it's in accordance with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 5, Verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before man. He doesn't say, Create your light inside of you so that it would shine. He doesn't say that. If you are the light, there's one thing that you cannot do, is hide it. Let it shine through you. Do not create, do not manifest this life, this light. Let it shine. And Jesus is saying, look. When, when you have the light, you don't put it under the table. You don't seclude it. You don't just hide it. You let it shine before men. Don't parade yourself, but let your righteousness flow. And it obvious. And that is a contrast. The light that is in you, it's already there. It comes from Christ, the righteousness that it's not your own. It's Christ's righteousness. Let it shine. But if you go back to Matthew chapter 6, we have this. That's the sign. It's time to wrap up. In Matthew chapter 6, there is also promised reward for us. Uh, when you fast, vast, you don't expect reward, but God gives it to you anyway. <laughs> you just, you're not doing it for reward, but God gives you this. And it's interesting that both a righteous and unrighteous religiosity, hypocritical and a true believer religion, uh, we also need things. like we, we need to be accepted. We need to be valued. We need to be appreciated. The question is, what is the source? What is the source? Where are you trying to gain it from? Hypocrites does things like giving, praying, and fasting, to gain some reward, and so does believer too. He will gain, but from whom? Hypocrites receive the reward in full, and so the believers as well. We do too. See, the secret of spiritual success, whether in fasting or in any supernatural endeavor, of course, is a lifestyle of surrender to our Christ who leads us to all righteousness. Now, what reward would you expect from God? Like he promised, he said, well, your reward will be in full for the hypocrites. And he's also said, if you've done this in secret, verse 18, at the end, God will reward you. Your father will reward you. Now, what is this reward? Well, it doesn't say. It just doesn't say. We do not know exactly what's the reward because we're not working for it. We expect it and we know that God promises, but we, we don't need to specify, hey, this is what God will give it to you. This is the package of blessing that you'll receive. We do not know, but we could expect something right now. If you depend on God and humble yourself before God, you know what you're gonna be growing in? In humility. It's an opposite of pride. That's, that's the exercise. Guaranteed, If you do it out of humble heart, you will gain more humility before God. You know, Spurgeon puts it so well. I cannot not resist to read. He said, when you serve God, do not expect the reward. Be prepared instead to be misunderstood, suspected, and abused. An evil world cannot speak well of holy lives. The sweetest fruit is most pecked at by the birds. The tallest mountains are most battered by the storms. The loveliest character is the most assailed. If you succeed in bringing many to Christ, you will be charged with seeking self-seeking or popularity hunting or some such crime. You will be misrepresented, caricatured, and counted as a fool by the ungodly world. If you serve God, the probabilities are that the crown you win in this world will contain more spikes than sapphires, more briars than emeralds. When it is put on your head, pray for grace to wear it and count it all joy to be like your Lord. Say in your heart, I feel no dishonor in this dishonor. The world may attribute shameful things to me, but I'm not ashamed. People may degrade me, but I'm not degraded. They may look on me with contempt, but I'm not contemptible. Humility is what you gain in this practice. But it's another thing also that we kind of see from this humble attitude that you should expect to be used by God. Because God He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we should expect that, right? This is the reward that you could gain right here, right now. When believers generally seek in face of God, expressing and exposing themselves before him, what naturally happens is that God uses these uh, people for his purposes. I want to bring two examples as we close. There was one person who fasted, and he became the key for all the Gentiles. Remember who, was, who that was? Peter. Peter was fasting in Joppa, prior to receiving vision that the great sheet laid down from heaven, and that he should kill and eat. And he didn't understand what happened. But there's another man was praying, Cornelius. And God heard that prayer, and he sent Peter while he was fasting, revealing to him that he should go and preach the gospel to Gentiles. Now, did Peter expect that at all? He was just totally unexpected when he fasted. He was just fasting, expressing his dependence on God. And God used him mightily. The result was an amazing change in the history of Christianity. The Gentiles got in. The mercy comes to us. And we were extended the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life because Christ worked through Peter. The Christians at the Antioch church, they were fasting when the Holy Spirit directed them to St. Paul and Barnabas to their first great missionary trip. And they went on and established churches in fact, every time you know, we, we see Paul, he, when he installing pastors in the church, they did it with fasting. Now when believers generally seek in the face of God, mighty things could happen. And we should expect that. We're not looking for them, we do not know what will happen, but when you present yourself before God as a humble servant, without asking and seeking for praise and without taking attention to yourself, without covering up with the hypocrisy, but just doing your job as a slave of God, God will use you. I like how C.S. Lewis wrote, he said, if you don't feel strongly for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled as so long at the table of the world. Your soul is satisfied with the small things and there's no room for great. I mean, what are we hungry for? Are you hungry for recognition or hungry for God? This only could happen with your identification with Christ. The proper way how we demonstrate our dependency on God is flowing from Christ, we have to come to Him and to rest in Him. We have to abide in Him because nothing that we do will impress God. There's nothing that you will do will impress God. Nothing that you did impress God. But it's not the way to say, well, don't do anything. Come to Christ. Rest in Him. When you find yourself craving for recognition, come to Christ. When you find yourself scoring points with people, come to Christ. Understand that you're failing, that you're broken, and that you need him. And you need his spirit to flow out of you. You don't want to be exercising fleshliness. Now, we don't have knowing of what and who is doing and why. We don't see the heart. But God is impressed with your heart rather than what you're doing. God is seeking for your heart rather than your gifts. It is your heart that he's after. And he said, your heart could rest only in me, knowing that I provide this total peace of completeness and fullness. And in my union, you will walk in a newness of life. That's what we say, resurrection of new life. That's glorious. That's righteousness. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus for us. For apart from him, we're undone. And even today, at every moment that we walk and everything that we do, every gift that we present to you, it must flow from him. We can't do one thing right. We are messed up people. But by your grace, we're able to be used for you. In the name of Christ we pray, help us, amen.